0: Welcome everyone, so tonight's our last class for this uh, series, and there's a two-week gap, and then, uh, I forget the date it is, but in two weeks we'll start the Eightfold Path class, so you can sign up tonight if you want, join us for the next series, and I forget if it's a seven-week or an eight-week class, the next one, and we will have small groups tonight, and one of the things you might want to share in the small groups is some of the not just the experience in the meditation but these reflections and how they might have come up in your life in other places other times. So to uh you know as a general theme tonight I thought we would look at anatta the teachings on not self and the experience of freedom our actual experience of freedom and how that correlates to self or not-self, the mind's construction of self or not. And then you can use these three uh, practices that I talked about tonight, like just the contemplation of space, an open, unformed space like the gap between the mental constructions or the mental fixations, which normally, of course, get our attention, but we could, and it's especially easy when it's quiet and the eyes are closed and there's not too much activity, then the sense of space becomes a more obvious happening. And you can even use things like I suggested like the background sound evokes or supports this mind turning to the experience of space. Now, you can't describe it, really. Well, you can, but it's hard to describe it. It doesn't really work to describe it. But it's something that can be known. And then when to whatever degree the mind is able to contemplate that sense of space or emptiness directly, what's unformed, then as formed objects arise, then you can specifically contemplate whatever is presenting itself in space, like a thought, an emotion, a sensation, a sound. You can contemplate that as a movement not me, not mine, but a movement of nature, a natural, conditional arising, something that comes and goes. And then if you can do that, you can contemplate how ephemeral that is, how the thought that comes and goes or the sensation that comes and goes or the emotion that comes and goes, the sight or image that comes and goes, that in in a sort of a subtle... underlying sense, it's a lot like empty space. The one of the easier places to begin to see this is the body. The more the mind is uh, aligned or aware or um, awake to this empty nature, this space like nature, then as we contemplate the body, the body begins to appear to this mind to be also open and empty and less formed. And this is not an uncommon experience for people. It's like you can even notice the sensations of your body now and if you're not imposing you know, ideas of weight and shape you know, what is the actual experience of the body? Can you perceive the experience of the body as a sense of open space, for example, maybe with some vibrations here and there? So one of the directions we go, you know, with this practice of not-self, which is really a strategy supporting the experience of release, the heart's release, the unshakable release of the heart. So this uh, freedom, it's um, it's really beginning to intuit and come into alignment with the process nature. You know, that when we get the process nature of the mind and body, then it loses its form that we normally are imputing or projecting. You know, like if something is moving, like a river... then, you know, we can, we can think of the Mississippi River as this, you know, amazing amount of water, you know, and the banks, and the river gorge, and we can really perceive it as something that has real solidity form, takes up space. But I could also perceive the river as this process of flow, And that, seeing it that way, you know, there's not any substance to flow. It isn't a thing. Flow isn't a thing. I'm describing the river as a process of of change or movement, but that's not a thing. And so that's the same, you know, I don't know, it's a little bit of a rough metaphor or simile, but same thing with uh, what the mind attends to, what the mind tunes into because of habit. So the more we attune to the space-like process-nature aspects of the here and now, the more the um, nature of emptiness becomes obvious. The more I think of my body as the sort of the weight of the bones and the weight of the fluids and the Flesh and the uh, the weight of my past, all the things I've done, and who I've become, and who I might be, you know. If I attend to that, to those projections, those mental projections and aspects of my experience, feel, feels pretty weightful. My my existence feels substantial in a way. But if I attend to the movements. Of thought and movements of sensation, of movements of sound, the changing nature, and the space-like quality of the mind itself, and not just space-like, but no boundaries, then uh, this existence, what we call this existence, just gets lighter and lighter. And we see what an effective strategy anatta is for liberating the mind from the created or the constructed way of self. Self as a thing, as a solid entity that has a life, that has a past and will have a future Joseph said something like, this is a paraphrase, Professor Goldstein, we impute a reality to concepts they do not inherently have because we have forgotten that they are constructions of the mind or we've forgotten they are movements of nature and we're taking them to be something that they're not. The Buddha you know, in many different ways, he was very clear that the ending of this conceit, this projection of something solid that has form, that has a past and a future, that is a thing, that this the ceasing of this conceit is the greatest happiness of all. So in the small groups, you know, to... Reflect, do we know the experience of that cessation? Do we know how the conceit of I AM, how that freezing up or fixing, do we know how that arises in our experience? Do we know how that ceases in our experience or loosens in our experience? Do we see um, and how do we see, this would be nice to share something out of this general area, like how do we see certain images, certain thoughts, certain experiences arise and really see the choice of a congealing, becoming a self around that particular thought or image, feeling fixed or established, have a... The heart has a weight to it, and the other choice of sort of not congealing. And even, you know, imagining now and maybe having some experience of living for periods of time in a more unformed, unfixed, undefined way. And what was that like? What was it? Were there any problems? By overcoming all conceivings, practitioners, one is called a sage at peace. So not confused by the conceivings of the mind. I'm not sure I read this yet. Practitioners, I am is a conceiving. I am this is a conceiving. I shall be is a conceiving. I shall not be is a conceiving. I shall be possessed of form is a conceiving. I shall be percipient is a conceiving. I shall be non percipient is a conceiving. Conceiving is a disease. Conceiving is a tumor. Conceiving is a bar. By overcoming all conceivings, practitioner, one is called a sage at peace. And the sages at peace are not born, do not age, do not die. They are not shaken and they are not agitated, for there is nothing present in them by which they might be born. Not being born, how could they age? Not aging, how could they die? Not dying, how could they be shaken? Not being shaken, why should they be agitated? I think it's really powerful just to see this, like uh instead of you know, hearing something like that and then imagining yourself not existing, which what we is what we often do when we hear a a passage like that, like, um you know not being sensitive in any way, not well that means I'm just not here. But why couldn't this body mind thing be here, and maybe the only thing that's lost or that ceases is this particular activity of the mind of establishing or fixing a self in what is ultimately just the movement of nature. Like we talk about, you know, conventional ways about being in the flow. how wonderful that experience is. Whenever we conceive, whenever the mind fixes, we can, and this is another thing you can share, it's just how you notice in your life, maybe in a set where the mind is more refined or just generally in life, how as soon as the mind conceives and is confused by its conceiving, its construction, We've, the mind-body, has created a prison for itself, is bound by that idea. Which just begs the question, what conceptions are we bound by now? You know, maybe most of us did something unskillful today. And is in any way that conception that I did something bad today Is it operating? Is it imprisoning this in some way now? Or maybe we did something good today. And that thought, that identification with having done something good today, is it in any way imprisoning? Joseph Goldstein has a way of talking about this, uh, how we create these prisons. And he uses the example, many of you have heard this, about looking up at the north sky at night and it's really hard for us now to not see the Big Dipper on a clear night because our mind is imprisoned by this concept that there's a Big Dipper in the north sky. So we look up and we see it and it's you know, we kind of like it because uh, it's just that, you know, one of the ways the self recreates itself is that the self is the one that feels competent and feels like it recognizes what's going on can read what's going on. Oh yeah, that's north. You just go from there, trace those two stars and you know, you find that's north, and maybe there are a few other things you know, but that's about it for me. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, something as innocent as that lives or exists as a prison for the mind. It's like, it's not easy for a mind. We'd have to train our mind to not be caught by that conceiving, that conception. Now just think about how many more right now, just looking around this room, because so many of us know at least some of the people in the room, and we certainly recognize the room. And we have so many different conceptions about me and others in the room, and ourselves in the space, and ourselves as a practitioner, and about Buddhism, and about emptiness and not-self. We have a lot of baggage. And that, to the degree that the mind is confused by its conceivings, its conceptions, then all of that is imprisoning. And a lot of times when we do feel the weight of that, we simply are rearranging our prison by telling ourselves and, you know, regurgitating or creatively coming up with another conception that feels a little bit more fresh than the conception we had been trapped by and we move into that conception and have some space now from the other one. Some of you know that Ajahn Chah sent Ajahn sameto his uh, senior Western disciple, a letter right before he had his, I don't know if it was a stroke or what, but he couldn't communicate for a number of years before he died. And in that, um, the first part was something like, you know, all the things that come and go in your life the struggles and the beautiful things. Let them be used for the development of the paramis, the beautiful qualities. And then he, and then the note said uh, something like, "The Buddha Dharma, the Buddha Dharma, is not to be found in moving forward, moving backward, or standing still. This samado is your place of non abiding." So this is its own. Anatta teaching. This path, the fruit of this path, the path and the fruit of this path is to be found is not to be found in moving forward or moving back or standing still. This samedo, this practitioners is your place of non abiding. So these contemplations of anatta, these teachings, contemplations, he's pointing out directions of anatta, or emptiness, sunata They're meant to point to this place of non-abiding. So that's why sometimes we hear the somewhat clever phrase, you know, that right view is really no fixed view. It's not so much that we're replacing wrong view, that there is a self, with right view, there isn't a self, right? We talked about this a number of times over the seven weeks, that we're not simply replacing uh, self-view with non-self-view. We're interested in the immediate experience of freedom, the freedom of a mind not fixed to view. So we use anatta as a contemplation, as a strategy, as teachings, in order to abandon view. You could say, we could say that selfing, in its essence, is the mind being imprisoned to, uh, you know, holding or wrongly um, fixing on an idea or a view being trapped. The Buddha said, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, that no matter how you see clinging to a self, clinging or fixing the mind in some way, is there any way that this wouldn't be stressful. Any identification whatsoever, no matter how we identify the self, including I'm, you know, ultimately this self is one with the universe. So even some beautifully, uh, beautiful picture of the self as being whole and unified with all beings, all, all together as one, Even that conception of self is imprisoning, no matter how it's conceived. Including a nihilistic view is a prison. You know, I'm a self that upon death will cease. That's a conception of self. Buddha calls these thickets of views, wilderness of views, contortion of views, a writhing of views, a fetter of views. Bound by a fetter of views, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person is not freed from birth, aging, and death, from sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. She is not freed from stress, I say. So any conception, any fixed view isn't really using this contemplation appropriately. Practitioners, that sphere is to be realized where the I, stops, or vision, stops, and the perception, mental noting, of form, visual form, fades. That sphere is to be realized where the ear stops, and the perception of sound fades, where the nose stops, and the perception of odor fades, where the tongue stops, and the perception of flavor fades, where the body stops, and the perception of tactile sensation fades, where the intellect stops, and the perception of idea, phenomenon, fades. That sphere is to be realized. Then another one is talking about um, the cessation of differentiation, right? So he's really talking about, like it sounds from that passage. You know, if we don't understand what the Buddha's saying, that that sphere is like uh, emptiness in the sense like nothing's happening. But going back to what I was saying earlier about movement, just because I think that's a useful simile, you know, if we're not, if we're not fixing that movement as a me who's go- going from A to B, who's somewhere between A and B, who's going slowly to B, if we're not conceptualizing, conceiving, then movement isn't really anything. it's like when the buddha says that uh, vision stops and perception of form fades it's like there for us uh, for visual form to be what we normally how we normally experience it you can see there's a like now if you just tune in to seeing to the experience of seeing there is a little hunger behind it it's like uh the mind has a tool. It's like they say, you know, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you have eyes, you know, then everything looks like a a visual form that has to be figured out. Or if you have tactile sensitivity, then everything is a touch to be known, to be figured out from the point of view of self. But what happens if that point of view of self is removed, then what is the visual experience or the auditory experience or the tactile experience or the cognitive experience? It's just, you know, it's like we talk about Gaia, the earth, all living beings, as one being. I actually like this concept, just to to play with it, you know. I remember I had a, a little sort of epiphany this back in the 80s when I was getting started with my practice and I was just contemplating this, you know, this uh, hierarchy of beings, like a cell as a being, you know, that each sort of concentric circle getting a little bit bigger and human beings and humans as one being and the earth as one being and the solar system as one being and the galaxy. And this is not a new idea. This has been... Come up in all kinds of different places over the centuries. And it, there's a lot of, uh, it makes a lot of sense when you loosen the screws a little. Um, Try to remember why why I went there with that. Anybody remember? <laughs> no, no. You've got to go back further than that. <laughs> yeah but why was I talking about Gaia? Yeah, being one with everything but But the idea of this is not to conclude like at what level the being exists, but that at every level it's a conception. You know, like there may be a real beauty as we look at microscopic or macroscopic or in the middle, no matter what level we look at there's a, it's easy for us to see a coherence, like, yeah, it makes sense, this is the level, you know, this is the level of being, not the microscopic, you know, the molecule, or the atom, or the something smaller than that, or the cell, or the organ, but this level of organization, this is the self, or my clan, my nation, humanity, you know, all living beings on the planet, and so at what level, and we realize that well, we could, we could get attached or identify with any level, and people do. But it's the stickiness that's the problem. And uh, and the question is, when we loosen all those screws, like not taking, not fixing any of this, then then this whole world of differentiation, this whole world of this and that and good and bad and me and you, it literally disappears, which is why words like emptiness or, you know, Buddha says cessation or the vision stops, perception fades, because perception of sound, perception of sight, perception of sensation makes sense from the point of view of this level of organization identifying with this as an entity that stands apart from everything else. But when that goes away, when that's not being constructed, then the perception of sight and sound and smell and touch and thought, they don't mean what we currently take them to mean. They don't matter in the way that we think they matter. So it ceases in the way that we have come to know sight, sound, smell, taste, thought, It's like, what does it refer back to? What is a thought that's not referring back to somebody? What's a sight that's not referring back to somebody? Or a sound? Or any kind of sensitivity? If it's not landing, referring back to me, who has that sensitivity, who is knowing that, what is it then, really? See, it's just a movement. That sensitivity is just a movement. It doesn't land until there's a construction that claims it, that's my sensitivity, I'm seeing that, then it has meaning. But when that sense of self isn't being constructed, isn't being imputed, then what is sensitivity? So you could call this a nihilistic thing if there was something there to begin with that is disappearing. But the Buddha would say there was just misperception or ignorance there. That's the only thing ultimately that ceases is ignorance. Okay, maybe read one more passage from the Buddha and then we'll break into small groups. this is a few sentences from Ajahn Tanisaro before I read the passage. He says, Thus, although the person on the path must make use of right view, he or she goes beyond all views on reaching the goal of release. For a person who has attained the goal, experience occurs with no subject or object superimposed on it, no construing of experience or thing experienced. There is simply the experience in and of itself like that uh, famous passage from Buddha Gosa. I think I wrote it down here. For suffering is, but no sufferer, not the doer, but certainly the deed is found. Peace is, but not the appeased one. The way is, but the walker is not found. So here's the passage that Ajantani Saro was referring to. This is the Buddha. Practitioners, whatever in this world with its devas, maras, brahmas, its generations, complete with contemplatives and priests, princes and men, women, is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, attained, sought after, pondered by the intellect. That do I know. Whatever in this world is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, attained, sought after, pondered by the intellect, that I directly know. What is known by the Tathagata, but the Tathagata, That is known by the Tathagata, but the Tathagata has not been obsessed with it. Right? It's not fixing on any of it. The Tathagata remembers just how the Buddha refers to himself. Thus, practitioners, the Tathagata, when seeing what is to be seen, does not construe an object as seen. He does not construe as, uh, he does not construe an unseen. He does not construe an object to be seen. He does not construe a seer. When hearing, when sensing, when cognizing what is to be cognized, he does not construe an object as cognized. He does not construe an an uncognized. He does not construe an object to be cognized. He does not construe a cognizer. Right, so there's nothing added on to the movement of nature. There's just movement. And there isn't even a mind to differentiate the movement. Because why? You know, only from the point of view of self does differentiation matter. From the point of view of nature, does differentiation matter? Like out in the wood, you know, if there's nobody out in the woods, does a tree, a falling tree make a sound? You know, it's like, so out where there's no sentient being, is there any differentiation there? Only when we put our mind, imagine that place where there isn't any sentient being, can we then begin to differentiate whatever it is we're imagining. But let's say, you know, Jupiter, (laughs) let's say there's no sentient beings on Jupiter. See, there's no problem until a mind, a sentient mind, starts to discriminate, differentiate between what's good and bad, what's toxic and, you know, whatever, pretty and not pretty. Thus, practitioners, the tattagata, being such-like, with regard to all phenomena that can be seen, heard, sense, cognized, is such. And I tell you, there is no other such, higher or more sublime. Whatever is seen or heard or sensed and fastened onto as true by others, one who is such among those who are self-bound would not further assume to be true or even false. Having seen well in advance that arrow where generations are fastened and hung, I know, I see, that's just how it is. There is nothing of the tatagata fastened. Some of these passages came from the article, The Not-Self-Strategy, which uh, is mostly just quotes from the Buddhist uh, scriptures. So you can take a look at that if you haven't. It's on our webpage. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.